to the podcast series, Creditor's Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith Debnam Attorneys at Law, where we explore a range of legal topics impacting businesses and private individuals. So be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. My name is Landon G. Van Winkle, and I'm an attorney in the firm's Consumer Financial Services section. I will be your moderator today. Today's topic is current developments in student loan relief. We will be discussing the growing issue of student loans in the U.S., how those loans are treated in bankruptcy, and how recent regulatory and legislative developments may provide relief to student borrowers in the future. Before we begin, I want to note the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, any and all information shared is for general informational purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. With that out of the way, let's now turn our attention to this podcast's topic. With me today is Garrett Kirkpatrick. Garrett is an attorney in the firm's Consumer Financial Services section. Good to have you today, Garrett. Thanks, Lana. I appreciate it. So let's just uh, jump right in, Garrett. So tell me you know, a little bit uh, what's happening right now, kind of in, in big picture in the area of student loans. Yeah, of course. Um, So as uh, some of the listeners may know, some may not, um, there has been a pause, uh, so to speak, on federal student loan payments uh, since roughly the beginning of COVID um, uh, around uh, March or April of uh, 2020, the uh, Trump administration had uh, paused the uh, federally granted student loan repayments Um, and that pause has been extended uh, numerous times now. The most recent uh, extension of that pause came uh, just a few weeks ago by the Biden administration, um, and the federal student loan repayments are, uh, at this point, still going to be paused through uh, August uh, 31st of 2022, which would mean that payments will resume um, sometime in September, um, possibly October, depending on um, a borrower's actual servicer and when they can uh, get around to having the, the actual payments come due. Um, however, uh, with that pause, there has been a lot of talk um, in all of the different uh, branches you know, of government, executive, legislative, judicial, all of it. Um, as student loans has been a pretty hot topic, um, currently, the total student loan portfolio for the United States is around $1.7 trillion and uh, growing exponentially every single year. Um, and most of that comes from federally backed student, uh, student loans, um, which are serviced by various you know, servicers throughout the nation. Um, and one of the biggest issues that's going on right now is Uh, In 2021, four of the major federal loan servicers uh, ceased um, servicing federal student loans um, at the end of this year or at the end of last year um, and then partially into this year. They're no longer going to be working with the federal government. That's maybe in Fed Loan Servicing, Cornerstone and Granite State Management and Resources. Um, And with this, uh, with these four servicers pulling out, they held roughly half of the current federal uh, student loan borrowers at almost 16.3 million borrowers um, were being serviced by these four servicers, which is um, 
a huge impact in the student loan uh, world right now because new services are having to come in, um, balances and accounts are being transferred to new servicers. Um, and so there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the actual borrower side of things um, with, you know, these current students or, you know, students who had just graduated or even people who have been in the workforce, they, they don't really know what's going on with their loans when student loans are going to come back into repayment. It seems like a never ending cycle of, you know, payments are going to resume. And then at the last second, they get pushed out again. Um, and so there's a lot of uncertainty right now with these student loans, um, you know, and it's kind of creating a big storm of debt in the United States that seems will not be paid back. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are wondering what's going to happen next um, with all of these borrowers coming back into repayment in the next few months, um, especially when it comes to, you know, the rise in inflation, the rise in gas prices, you know, and there's just a lot of uncertainty forming around this student loan bubble and, and whether it's going to burst. And so I think it's, it's just a very interesting topic right now. Sure. So tell me, you know, what's special about student loans? I mean, how are they different? You know, Americans love to borrow and, you know, we probably are one of the most indebted countries in the world. Um, and so, you know, one, one approach might be to say, well, student loans are just another form of the you know, debt that Americans carry. Um, so what, what's special about student loans as compared to, you know, other types of household debt, for example? Yeah, of course. Um, so, one of the main differences between student loan debt and many of the other forms of debt that consumers carry, such as mortgages, um, credit card debts, um, just normal home equity loans, things like that, is that student loans are unsecured. Um, they, <laughs> the government and private lenders are providing these loans, you know, small amounts all the way up to hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, pretty much with the idea that these students are going to be able to get into the workforce and pay all of these loans back. So the only security is the hope of a future job and future income to be able to pay back these loans. And, you know, these are 18, 19, 20 year olds that are taking out these loans, um, you know, and they're not really certain if they even want to continue with school, they don't know what they're going to do with their job. And so there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to whether or not these loans are even going to be able to be paid back. And like I said, they're unsecure. There's nothing backing these loans other than the promise of future repayment. Um, whereas obviously when you know you take out a mortgage, you have the actual real property that is securing that mortgage and the banks have some sort of security um, in the fact that they are giving out this, this loan, but should a debtor default, they have something to back it up. They have something, you know, to get back a little bit of their investment. And, and I think with the student loans, you are seeing more and more financial institutions giving out these loans, giving out large amounts of loans, and then students coming back and saying, well, wait a minute, I can't, I can't pay this much or I'm never going to be able to pay off these loans. And they realize that, you know, at a young age, they don't really have anything, frankly, that, you know, the lender is going to be able to come get to 
you know, secure their loan afterwards, um, you know, as much, you know, as a lot of people know, the, you know, the real estate market is, is hot right now, but a lot of young people can't afford it. So they're renting. So they don't even have real property for, you know, a, a lender to attach a, a judgment to or anything like that, should they default. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of uncertainty for the, for the financial institutions, but as well as the federal government that are just handing out these loans. Um, and so it looks a lot different um, when it comes to just what is securing these loans themselves. And I think that that's going to cause an issue because we're going to have a lot of these, a lot of these younger people starting to kind of wake up and realize, look, there's, there's nothing they can really do. You know, if I stop paying, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that they can come take because I, I don't have a house. I don't have a lot of assets. And so, you know, you might see some, you know, some defaults starting to happen at a, at a greater rate, just because people think that, well, there's nothing else I can do. I can't pay it, but they're not going to be able to come take anything. They're not going to be able to do anything if I don't pay it. Um, and so I think you see a different attitude also towards student loans, um, you know, as compared to somebody losing their house. Um, and so I think that there's just a, a big dichotomy between just the idea of what this loan is and the attitude of, of the people taking it out don't really understand the severity of what it looks like, you know, 15, 20, 30 years in the future, um, because there are really no consequences when you take out these loans initially, um, you know, and you wouldn't see those consequences until much later. And so I just think that that they're very different than the other types of debts that that Americans are are incurring at this current stage. Sure, and you know, anytime we we see or or we think about big waves of, of consumer defaults, you know, in our practice, that's always a uh, kind of goes hand in hand with you know what we typically expect is a is going to be a, a big you know a concomitant flood of bankruptcy petitions. So can you speak a little bit to what's what's been happening with bankruptcies in the U.S. over the past uh, few years and kind of how how, um, you know, the wave of defaults has, has affected uh, bankruptcy filings? Yeah, so it's actually kind of interesting. Um, once the pandemic started um, and, you know, you, a lot of a lot of people in our industry kind of assumed, well, People aren't going to be able to pay their bills. They're out of work. Um, you know, their you know mortgages are gonna are gonna start foreclosing. You know, people aren't going to be able to pay their student loans. People aren't going to be able to pay for their car. And it, it was kind of the assumption that bankruptcy would just pick up exponentially um, because people would need a way out. Well, that's not actually what happened. Um, and I think the, the main reason is that there was so many government protections put in place um, when COVID uh, first started. And, and again, even still, like I said, I mean, the student loan um, payments are still being extended even further. And I think with these government protections, people have become comfortable, you know, having these protections and not having to pay because they're not required or because you know, or they're only paying one debt because some of the other ones, you know, are paused or they're deferred or whatever. 
And so people have been able to stay afloat. Um, and I think the issue is going to be once all of these government protections subside and once things really start to ramp up and get back to normal, you're going to see bankruptcy filings start to increase. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, in 2021, Chapter 7s were down 25% when compared to 2020. Um, consumer Chapter 13s fell 40%, which were down 45%, which when compared with 2019, um, you know, filings back in the first quarter of 2021 before the pandemic were roughly 50,000 um, filings per month. Um, but now, you know, now they're well below 40,000 filings per month, and that's across all chapters. Um, and I think what we're going to see is bankruptcy trends will start to increase when the defaults on the student loans, on the mortgages, on the car loans, they're going to increase. It's inevitable. It's just when will they increase? And I think the answer is when the government stops protecting the consumers, because frankly, right now, there are just so many protections out there and they're coming off slowly, but surely. I mean, you know, the mortgage foreclosure moratorium came off earlier this year. Um, there obviously are still some, some protections here and there, depending on the type of um, mortgage that you have and who it's with and, and some, some small nuances here and there, but you're gonna start to see that the government is, frankly, they're gonna want their money. Um, and they can only hold off for so long, um, but that's, you know, frankly, I thought that the the payments for student loans were going to come back in, and I thought there's no way that they will extend them again past May. I mean, they had even said that the January extension, the January of 2022 extension was was the last one. There would be no more, and then they, they said, oh, one more, that's it, and well, now they've extended it again, and so I think that it's almost pushing off the inevitable that there will be a wave of defaults. There will be people that have not been preparing for these debts. There have been people who are not thinking about these debts um, or have not been financially planning on how they're going to manage their, their mortgage, their car, student loans, any other credit card debts that they have. Once everything kind of comes back in and banks and financial institutions and the federal government is all ready to, ready to go back into seeking their, seeking their payments. Um, and so I think what we're going to see is bankruptcies will, will really start to pick up. Um, but I think the defining moment for that will be once these protections are no more, you know? Sure. And I guess that, you know, that kind of brings up the next question, assuming we get to the wave of bankruptcies, you know, if, if I'm a borrower and I've got student loans, what, um, you know, what benefit am I going to get from, from a bankruptcy? Can I, you know, can I discharge my student loans and then basically get out of jail free or am I going to have some type of uh, process I got to go through or is it just, I, I can't discharge them? You know, a lot of people think that you can't get, you can't discharge student loans. So, you know, it's, it's also a little bit about the background there and kind of what the process is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so student loans, um, are dischargeable in bankruptcy, but only under certain circumstances. A lot of people think that they are impossible to discharge or that you cannot discharge them. 
um, because the legal test to discharge student loans is so difficult to meet. So it's almost had a stigma, you know, perpetuated over the last decade that student loans can't be discharged in bankruptcy. There's no way, um, which to be quite frank is pretty much the case. However, um, under the bankruptcy code in section 523A8, um, it accepts any qualified student loans from discharge unless that loan would impose, unless the repayment of that loan would impose a undue hardship on the debtor and the debtor's dependents. Um, and the majority rule for uh, what constitutes an undue hardship, because that right there, those two words are the most significant part of this test, and that what, on, on, what constitutes an undue hardship um, comes from the Second Circuit um, under what is called the Brunner test. Um, and this, this test is widely known as followed by nine circuits, including the, the Third Circuit through the Seventh Circuit, the Ninth through the Eleventh Circuit. Um, and that, that test pretty much lays out exactly what a debtor needs to prove in order to show that they have an undue hardship. And that test is that the debtor cannot maintain based on their current income and expenses, a minimal standard of living for themselves and their, their dependents if they're forced to repay the loans. Second, that the additional circuit, that there are additional circumstances that exist that the state of affairs currently with their life and everything that's going on exists that it's likely to persist for a significant portion of the repayment period of that student loan and that the debtor has made good faith efforts to repay those loans. So those three prongs, if you will, make up the undue hardship test. Um, and like I said, they're very hard to meet because it's a totality of the circumstances test for, for the most part. And they're looking at everything in your, in your life as a debtor, they're looking at your finances, they're looking at how you spend your money, they're looking at, have you made any effort to repay these loans? They're looking at, have you, you know, sought out every single opportunity, every reasonable opportunity to find a job, to get better employment, to make more money, to save money. They're looking at everything. Um, and when the court does that, they're going to they're going to try and find ways to 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 show that you have opportunities out there that you haven't that you haven't tried to utilize um, again because and I think this comes back to the the the, the difference between student loans and all other other types of debt is if there was no protections for these student loans, you would have students that would kind of wise up and they would take out these loans. And if they could just discharge them like any other debt, um, they would take out these loans, go to school, file for bankruptcy. And now they essentially, you know, with obviously some of the consequences that come with bankruptcy, but they would kind of get out scot-free. They would be able to get a free tuition, discharge these loans and get out. Um, this would be, detrimental to the college tuition, student loan industry exponentially. I mean, this would lead to, you know, 
underwriting issues with these loans, this would lead to, you know, lenders being a lot more stingy on how they gave out these loans. They would require various, you know, multiple co-signers and, you know, it would become very hard to actually get a student loan if there was no protection of these loans. And so the judicial system has pretty much made, you know, and legislative through the bankruptcy code has pretty much made a way to protect these um, lenders and the federal government um, from students being able to discharge. And that's why there is kind of this stigma that it is impossible to discharge student loans because this test is so hard to meet. Um, and it has, it has been perpetuated you know, over the last decade of, you know, more and more cases coming out pretty much saying, nope, student loans, you can't discharge unless you've exhausted every single option, you know, unless you, you know, you've tried everything to be able to discharge these or to be able to, you know, get a better job, look for more ways to make an income. You know, you've actually tried every single way to make a good faith effort to repay those loans. And, you know, the federal government takes, you know, a lot of steps to be able to help you repay those loans, including all different types of repayment options. And by, you know, having those repayment options, again, it makes it even harder to discharge them because if you haven't shown that you've at least tried to take advantage and have gotten denied or can't even fulfill your obligations under all of these different repayment options, they're not going to be discharged. Um, and so I think it's just, the test is just so hard to meet that it's kind of created this sense of student loans are impossible to discharge in bankruptcy. And then to your point about, uh, you know, if, they, if, if, if we just let everybody discharge them, then nobody's gonna wanna lend, which I think is, you know, it's a good point. And I think some critics of the current status of student lending in this country have argued that it's, it is too easy to obtain student loans. You know, there's very little in the way of verification. Um, I don't really want to talk about that, but I do, I'm curious to know, do you think it's ever going to be easier to discharge student loans in bankruptcy? I do. Um, frankly, I do think that with this student loan bubble and the inevitable wave of defaults that will be coming over the next three to five years, I think we're going to start seeing the, the judicial developments that may loosen the, the Brunner test just slightly. Or if anything, they will maybe not loosen the test, but they might, there might be just a shift in mindset in some of the judges, the attorneys, um, the people litigating these cases um, and, and listening to these cases. Um, and I think whether or not it comes out of actual policy change, I think a mindset change on student loans um, and how expensive college tuition is becoming and how, how large these student loans are becoming and the amount of defaults that are going to occur, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit of a shift. And we've already actually begun to see that on just a, a small level um, in the Second Circuit where the Brunner test had initially come out of. Um, 
you know, there have been a few cases that have gone back and forth and you're seeing this, you're, you're almost seeing this two-sided argument um, around student loans in the judicial sense, just as you are in the executive sense. Um, you know, everybody knows that there's two sides of this argument about student loans and there's, there's going to be opinions one way or the other, whether or not, you know, student loans are a good thing, forgiveness is a good thing and all those, but you're also seeing two sides of this argument in the judiciary as well. Um, and in a 2020 case, Rosenberg versus New York State Higher Education Services Corporation, um, you had in that case, a court that came out and, and said that the Brunner test is a quasi standard of mythic proportions. Um, and that all of the cases that came after it have cre have pretty much perpetuated a higher burden on the debtors than the original Brunner test had ever intended. Um, and that the court said that you, that the court, a court should not be looking at the efforts that a debtor should be making after they filed their um, petition for bankruptcy, but only the things that led up pre-petition. It doesn't matter things that are happening afterwards um, or, you know, and things that could happen in the future and jobs that you could get, but just what what is the circumstances that led to that bankruptcy? Um, and so, whereas normally the courts were kind of looking at a debtor's entire life and, and picking apart everything pre-petition, things that could happen post-petition, um, this court kind of limited that to pre-petition. They were looking at the debtor's good faith actions to repay a loan pre-petition only. Um, now, it is, important to it is important to note that this case was reversed and remanded. However, that was just on the grounds that the court neither side did enough of a fact-intensive analysis of the debtor's circumstances um, that should have taken place. Like I had said earlier, this is a very fact-intensive um, analysis of the debtor's entire financial situation. Um, and in this case, they didn't, neither side really uh, looked into those facts quite deep enough. Um, and it, it was remanded, but not based on the, the law or the reasoning that the court came out, the reasoning that the court gave for their decision um, at the end when they discharged the loans, but more, but more on the side of they just wanted to re review it with some new with some additional facts that weren't brought to light in the in in the first case. Um, however, you're seeing a, also from the Second Circuit a year later um, in Tingling versus Education Ma Credit Management Corporation, you're seeing the same circuit, different judge, reaffirming the undue hardship test and the Brunner test and saying that it has not become too high of a burden. And they're disagreeing with a judge in their same circuit and saying, even though the attorneys made the exact same arguments that they did in that the attorney did in the Rosenberg case, the judge disagreed, said, we're going to follow the progeny of 
of the Brunner test and all the cases that followed um, and pretty much reaffirmed that all over again. Um, and I think that that right there is kind of a, a good look at what is happening in the judicial concept or context in that you are going to have these two sides um, going on, but I think we will start to see a little bit of a shift. I think we're going to start to see a lot more student loan cases coming before bankruptcy judges. And because we're going to have more cases, there's more opportunity for judges to make a different ruling than in the past. There's more opportunity for new law to develop, for new arguments to develop. Um, whereas before student loans, of course, were always trying to be discharged, but I think we're going to see them attempt, I think we're going to see debtors attempt to discharge student loans at a much higher rate, which could create some very interesting case law in the next few years, um, depending on the perception of student loans and the state of the economy um, and just how attorneys and judges begin to view student loans as compared to other debts like mortgages, credit cards, health debt, and things like that. So I think we're seeing this dichotomy between um, the, even within the same court right now, but I think the view of judges and attorneys might start to shift should these bankruptcies really pick up um, with the student loan defaults. So we've kind of gone over some of the legal developments, some of the cases. Um, are there any, you know, administrative or, or regulatory developments that you're seeing uh, that may, you know, affect the student loan situation moving forward? Yeah. Um, so right now um, we're seeing obviously a, a lot of hands-on um, action with uh, the federal government um, with these student loans. Because again, you know, this the federal backed student loans have again been paused, and um, students or former students are are pushing the federal government to to make um, legislative and administrative changes. Um, however, I think one thing that's really interesting in the administrative developments is that we're seeing the Department of Education recently had um, two controversies regarding. Uh, student loan forgiveness, like we had just uh, discussed in, um, you know, discharge cases, uh, many times they are federal student loans. Um, and the Department of Education actually, uh, through the Department of Justice, um, tried to appeal to student loan discharge cases. Um, and it was really interesting because there was so much public outcry because they were pretty much going after these students or these former students um, who, again, got their loans discharged. But there were so many people saying, why are you, you know, why is the, why is the Department of Education trying so hard to force these borrowers who have already been found to be, you know, in, you know, one of the worst financial situations that they can to, to even be able to discharge a student loan means you're not in a good financial situation. Yet the Department of Education is trying to pursue this further to appeal it, and, and, and they want their money. Well, they withdrew both appeals, um, which was really interesting. Um, 
you know, you don't see that very often um, that an appeal will be withdrawn um, based purely on, you know, the public's perception of how it looks. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I think the other thing that we're going to see is the current and new director of the CFPB, Rohit Chopra, was the former student loan ombudsman for the CFPB. Um, and he has been very vocal um, about student loans and student loan debt um, and has stated, um, you know, when he has written testimony uh, of the FTC, as the FTC commissioner, um, that during his time as at the CFPB that they published wide, widely cited reports detailing the devastating impact on student loan debt um, and pursued aggressively enforcement um, against companies in the student loan industry that were breaking, um, breaking laws. And so I think you have someone at the head of the CFPB that's going to watch over this issue very closely. Um, and I think with the right people in certain administrative positions, you're going to see some cracking down on student loan servicers. Um, you know, there's always been lawsuits out there um, against student loan servicers about lack of communication, again, you know, about not being able to provide, you know, accurate information when it came to debt transfers. Um, and so I think you're going to see the CFPB is going to crack down, um, especially with Rohit Chopra at the helm of that, um, at that administration. Um, and so I think it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how they, how the CFPB handles um, a lot of these student loan complaints. Um, because again, as these students default, as these students come back into repayment, I think we're going to start to see a lot more complaints, obviously, because they're going to be dealing closely with their servicer. The past two years, they haven't had to really think about this. They haven't had to talk with their servicer. They haven't had to go online to look at anything um, other than, again, when they think their loans are going to be repaid, they might go on real quick and then they see, oh, they've been extended again. But I think we're going to see a lot more complaints come in from the borrowers, um, especially with all of the account transfers between all of the uh, former and the new servicers that are coming in and going out. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot of uh, regulation and enforcement coming from the CFPB, um, which could be very interesting to see how aggressive they are with that enforcement um, on these servicers, as well as um, the lenders. So, so is there any, you know, legislation or any, any proposed legislation that, that, might uh, you know give some bar give borrowers some relief or, or change the way student loans are treated in bankruptcy uh, moving forward? Yeah, there's there's a decent amount actually of student loan legislation going on right now. Um, most of the bills have just been referred to committees. There hasn't been any action on any of the bills yet. Um, you know, as you know, as many people know, it takes a long time to get things moving through uh, Congress. Um, but um, there have been a few interesting ones that I just wanted to kind of hit on. Um, so, you know, most of these, again, came out of 2020, you know, later in 2021. Um, 
but one is the Student Loan Borrower Safety Net Act, um, and this would require the Secretary of Education to uh, create an outreach program to borrowers entering repayment after the pause. Um, and this program would start at least 60 days prior to the restart of payments and includes reach out attempts and um, pretty much more communication between the servicer and the borrower um, and being able to inform them of different plans like the income driven repayment plan um, and, and things like that. Um, so I think that that one is definitely centered around communication and making sure borrowers know their options. Um, Another one is the Student Loan Refinancing Act, um, which allows federal borrowers to refinance their federal student loans um, when the interest rates are reduced, like they are currently. Although again, they are probably going to go up soon, but um, this would you know, uh, allow a borrower to refinance their student loan, which is not possible um, unless you go from a federally backed loan into a private loan, um, However, again, removing a federal loan into a private loan um, through refinancing would remove all of the protections and all of the um, different repayment plans that come with having a federally backed student loan. Um, and so that's obviously not advantageous to most borrowers. Most borrowers want to keep their loans um, in the federal uh, program um, because of the protections and because of the you know, possibility of forgiveness or anything like that that would come with federal student loans. So this would allow borrowers to refinance a federal student loan, which is, is not possible at the current, current time. Um, the one that's most interesting to me, and I think is, is one that might have um, the longest legs right now, is the Fresh Start Through Bankruptcy Act. Um, this is a bipartisan bill um, aimed at the struggling borrowers to seek bankruptcy discharge of their federal student loans after a waiting period of 10 years after the first loan payment comes due. Now, again, they can currently seek discharge of their federal student loans. However, the difference would be in this bill that they would not have to prove the undue hardship test after 10 years. You could just seek that discharge of the loans after a waiting period of 10 years and making your payments. Um, I believe you, you, you would have to make all your payments. You cannot miss a payment. Um, and it would still retain the existing undue hardship discharge option for um, private student loans and federal student loans um, in the first 10 years. However, after 10 years of payments, it would provide a borrower an option to discharge. Now, Again, you would still have to go through the normal chapter seven or 13 or whatever um, to be able to figure out how you actually want to uh, discharge those student loans, um, but you wouldn't have to prove the undue hardship test making, which again, makes student loans virtually um, impossible to discharge. Um, but I think that that one is really interesting because again, it kind of strikes that, that middle ground between still protecting the federal government and the private lenders um, because students can't just come straight out of, you know, school or grad school, college or grad school and just discharge their loans immediately, they have to make payments for 10 years. So it would guarantee at least 10 years of payments. Um, however, again, um, whether or not that goes through could be a while. It, it, it could get stuck somewhere um, in the legislative process. But I think that, that one is, is one of the most interesting ones um, because, again, it, it still provides protection to the actual lenders, but it's it's providing at least 
a little bit of relief for the borrowers, again, with the consequences that come with bankruptcy, but that would have to be weighed by the borrower. So I think that that's, that's a very interesting one uh, that I'm going to keep my eye on for sure um, to see if that one, if that one actually makes it through. But um, we're definitely seeing a lot of legislative developments around student loans. Um, there's, it's a hot topic um, all around the United States and uh, certainly in the national news, it's talked about all the time with forgiveness, not forgiveness, no forgiveness, you know, extending the payments versus not extending the payments. Um, and so I think, I think it'll be really interesting to see what legislative developments come out over the next couple of years that may change um, the way the student loans are, are, are handled um, or the options that students have when it comes to um, being able to repay them and, and go on and live their life, um, you know, without this, this large debt hanging over their head. Excellent. I'll thank you for the, uh, this is very, very informative. Uh, I want to thank the audience for listening. Uh, thank you, Garrett, for this information. Is there a, uh, you have an email address or a phone number that uh, anybody, any of our listeners can reach out to you if they have questions or they want to follow up on anything we've covered? Yeah, absolutely. My email is G. Kirkpatrick, K-I-R-K-P-A-T-R-I-C-K at smithdebnumlaw.com. They're more than happy to reach out and uh, let me know if they have any questions for sure. All right. Well, thank you uh, again for uh, your time and thank you. Thank the audience for participating. Uh, Don't forget to uh, subscribe and uh, stay well and we hope uh, you'll be listening to another podcast of ours soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Landon. Mm -hmm. Thank you.